on that note, it is a new year, and um, I was thinking about it yesterday. In one sense, it's just another day on the calendar, right? It's just a good calendar turns, the pages turns, another day. But it, typically at the new year, we, most of us, many people will take an opportunity to kind of re- review and reflect on the, the past year and, and uh, some of what happened there. And then you might also take some time and energy and, and put some thought into looking forward in this coming year. And uh, what would you like to see happen or change? We may make New Year's resolutions. I read somewhere that 18% of those are carried out and the rest of them are dropped off after about two to three weeks. And so I don't know what the value of that is, but I would say this, that goals are good. Goal setting is good. It's, good, it's a good idea to have uh, a goal and a direction and sort of a path that you're on and to, to want to see things happen. Our goal as followers of Jesus really is to become kingdom people. To be people in whom the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God, the presence of God, and everything that comes with that, there's, uh, there's a significant transformation that takes place. The joy and peace and hope that comes with the presence of God. To be people in whom that is manifest. To be people in whom the presence of God lives and, and, and is real. And, and let me say this, that's a spiritual thing. But it has it has it has you know roots to it. it. There there's it's tangible. It's real. It's visible. I think if you're walking in the presence of God, if you're a kingdom person, that one, you'll know it. You'll feel the difference. And two, I think it'll be visible to people around you. I think people will see you differently. I don't know about you. I you know I've, I've known Christians who really do an amazing job of just expressing the presence of God and. And, I, I, you know, they share people come up to him at work or even in the market, the grocery store, whatever, and go, what, what's up with you? What, wh- why, why are you so happy? Why, why is it, you know, what's, what's different about you? And it's the presence of God. So that's our goal. That's our goal is to be those kingdom people. Um, it's, it's, it's different, I think, than maybe how some people sometimes view Christianity. Sometimes I think people just sort of see the goal is to get to heaven. I got to make it through this life grip my teeth and hope, you know, to get to heaven because that's really the goal. Uh, I don't think that's the goal. And sometimes I think we confuse what it means to be a kingdom person and the goal becomes just being a good person. But that's not the goal either. I, I mean, you, you, can, um, you can be a good person, I suppose, and not be a kingdom person. There's a difference. If you're a kingdom person, I hope you're a good person. You probably will be. Uh, but that's not the goal either, to be a good person. I think the goal really is, as, as uh, followers of Jesus, to be kingdom people that live and love and walk out life, live your life in the presence of God. So, so, so with that, I, I want to start this new year. I want to ask a, uh, a theological question this morning. So we're going to put our theology caps on today. I know it's early I know that, you know, we're a little tired, but we're just going to think a little today, okay? My friend, my friend Todd Hunter one time was sharing, and somebody said, well, we're not theologians. I'm not a theologian. And he goes, well, we're all theologians. You're either good ones or bad ones. So, yeah, I know. So we're going to put our theology caps on today. And here's, our, here's the question. The question is this. Is the good news of Jesus Christ, is the gospel message ever offensive? Is it ever something in which 
when it's shared, somebody might go, hey, I don't want to hear about that. No, they're offended and put off by the gospel. Last week, and if you want to go to the first slide, we talked about Simeon, who is just one of those characters that I love in Scripture, and I know a couple of you mentioned to me how much you love Simeon as well. And Simeon came to the temple when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus in to be dedicated. He said this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared it for the sight in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That is such a hopeful, positive message. I've seen salvation. It's a light to the Gentiles. It's the glory of Israel. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But if you read on, that is not the entirety of Simeon's message. He had a couple other things to say, and we're going to look at those things today. Uh, So our title is this. Boop. The gospel will offend your mind to reveal your heart. I believe the gospel can at times be offensive, uh, but it really shows us where we are. So let's pray, and then we will get into the remainder of Simeon's message. Father, thanks for your word, and we ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts today, that we might see what you have for us, and that as we launch into this new year together as a body, as a a community of believers, that you would give us direction and hope and vision uh, for the days ahead. Your name we pray, amen. Verse 33, and then, so again, this is the same setting, they're still in the temple. Simeon has made this tremendous declaration of praise, and immediately following, Simeon blessed them, them being Mary and Joseph. And then he said to Mary, he's speaking specifically now, the first part of his message was sort of this public declaration really to God and to everybody in earshot. But now he has turned his attention to Mary and he's speaking directly to her and he says this, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, not spoken about, not spoken for, but spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul So, Simeon begins with this declaration of praise and glory, but then he ends with this message, this idea that maybe, maybe the good news, the arrival of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, won't be good for everybody. He's going to cause the rising, but also the falling of many. And the hearts of many will be revealed. And I, you know, if you think about that little phrase for a minute, uh, that's a two-edged sword. If the thoughts of your heart are good, okay. If the thoughts of your heart are not so good, you may not want those things revealed. In the uh, birth of Jesus, you remember the Angels came to the shepherds out in the field, and what do they say? I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Good news, great joy, all people. Pretty definitive. Good, great, all. Everybody's included. It's great news. Uh, What Simeon says here seems to conflict with that a little bit. This is a little different message. There will be some who will rise upon the coming of Christ, but there are others who will fall. So is there then a potential downside to this? 
could there be uh, a way in which the message, the good news of Jesus, is actually offensive to some people? I, I would say, yes, it can be. Uh, Jesus ticks some people off sometimes. Particularly, I would say, religious people. If you, uh, you know, are familiar with the gospel accounts, you'll notice that on any number of occasions, Jesus will say things, and the Pharisees, who represent sort of the religious hierarchy of the day, they are the religious leaders of the day, they are not happy with what he has to say. Well, I and the Father are one. I'm just here to do my Father's will. How dare you say that? He's calling himself God. Woman comes in and pours perfume on him, and they, oh, what a waste. That's a waste. They were offended by Jesus quite often, and I think that in some ways the same thing is true today. Nothing has changed. Religious people are still very often, I believe, offended by the proclamation of the gospel. There is a, uh, a young Christian artist named Lauren Daigle who released an, a new album a couple months ago. It came out in September, and it debuted on Billboard's Top 200. So Billboard magazine, Top 200 is just sales. No genre, no category, no subtext, any just numbers of records sold. And hers came out at number three. It's the highest charting debut by a Christian artist in almost a decade. And when you sell a lot of records, you get an invitation to share your music. And so this young lady was invited to go on Ellen's show and sing, and she did. Um, Ellen's viewership every day is over 4 million people. 4 million people watch the Ellen show every day. Lauren Daigle went on and sang a song called Still Rolling Stones. It's it's a great song, kind of upbeat, and it's about how the stone was rolled away and Jesus came to life. And he's still rolling stones. He's still moving stones. People are still coming to life in Jesus. It was pretty cool. And a number of Christians protested against her. Uh, Ellen is gay, in case anybody missed that. And they felt that it was uh, inappropriate for a Christian artist to go on national television and sing a worship song in front of 4 million people hosted by, on a program that's hosted by a gay person. I found, you know, that kind of interesting. I thought about what sort of things the Pharisees said about Jesus. Oh, he hangs out with sinners. The, uh, the following week, she was invited to go and sing on Jimmy Fallon's show. Fallon comes on late at night. You may not have seen him, some of you. Uh... Jimmy Fallon's viewership is a little bit lower than Ellen's. He logs in at about 3.2 million people a night. It's got some competition, though. I kind of like Jimmy Kimmel. But but the point is that Lauren Daigle sang the title song off of her record on that program. It's called Look Up, Child. And again, the lyrics talk about, and you go through storms and dark times, things are hard. Look up, look to me, keep your eyes on me. Again, I think a uh, fairly biblical, hopeful message. And again... People protested. Now, Jimmy Fallon is not gay. Uh, But in this situation, 
They were upset that she wore a blouse, a top that they deemed inappropriate for a Christian person to wear, especially on television. One uh, internet troll posted a, uh, a message that said, Lauren Daigle is an enemy of God. Which I found to be interesting, really, because I, I've actually read the Bible. <laughs> and there are enemies of God in the Bible. There are people that set themselves up as an enemy, enemy of God. I was looking for that passage where someone was declared an enemy, enemy of God for wearing a camisole, and, and I, I couldn't find it. So I don't know. But the whole incident really just caused me to realize that Phariseeism is alive and well in the 21st century, and that religious people will continue to be offended by the gospel, regardless of the package that it comes in. I think the gospel confronts any number of different things that the world holds dear, and is always going to be offensive to some people. And to me, one of the tragedies of the church today in the 21st century is that we really have dare I say this, we've watered down the gospel to the point that we've lost the ability to offend people. There are churches in America today that attract thousands and in cases, some cases tens of thousands of people that preach a gospel of comfort. Come here and you'll be happy and healthy. Come here and everything will be okay. Your life will be great. Come to Jesus and you too can have sparkly white teeth and a smoking hot wife and you'll be rich. Because God wants to bless you. And that's the message. And it becomes, at that point, somewhat consumeristic. It's like, it's like, well, do I go here or there? They say I can be happy and healthy, but this guy says I can be wealthy. I don't know, do I want to be healthy or wealthy? I'm not sure. Where do I go? It's kind of like, do I go to Walmart or Target? I mean, Walmart has better prices, there's no doubt, but Target has that popcorn, and when you walk in, it smells so good. My whole shopping experience is better there. I'm not sure where I should go. I find it interesting also that Jesus never seemed to be overly concerned about who showed up. You ever notice that? Sometimes there were huge crowds, sometimes there were not, but it really didn't alter his message at all. He really was concerned about one thing, doing what the Father is doing. I'm here to do my Father's will. That's what I'm here for, and that's what I'm going to do. And you can come with me if you want. And that was really it. As kingdom people, I think that's our goal, is to follow that and to be authentic and genuine in our relationship with God and in how we express who Jesus is in the world today. I think there's a balance in this. So I, I realize that on one hand, there's sort of the gospel of comfort, but on the other hand, there, there's, you can become just rude and obnoxious, too, and I don't know if that's the answer. I think there's some people out there who practice sort of a uh, militant kind of uh, in-your-face style of evangelism. I call it, well, I won't tell you what I call it, but um, it's very confrontational. It kind of, you know, calls names, point fingers. You're a sinner, and you need to Change that and not sin and be like me because I'm angry. And I don't know if that's the answer either. I think somehow in the middle we can be direct and honest and genuine and authentic followers of Jesus and still live and walk in love. How, how can the good news, if we think about it, really be offensive? I mean, it's good news, right? 
What is the good news? You know, Jesus loves you. He wants to give you new life, life in him. It's about forgiveness. You can be forgiven. Those are good things. There's freedom in Christ. That's a good thing. Uh, Jesus loves you for who you are. You don't have to change. He already loves you. That's, that's good news. He, 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 he values you. You're valuable to God. He sees you as his, you're his favorite. He loves you that much. What could possibly be offensive about that? I've shared with people before, and they say, well, you know, gosh, I, I don't believe that. I, it's, it sounds great. It's a good idea, but I just don't think it's real. But it's not really offensive. Just disagree. <clears throat> Here's how I think it gets offensive, and that is we tend to define the gospel, Christianity, salvation, all, all of the above, in terms of beliefs. It's a belief system. If you believe certain things, then you're a Christian. You know, and, and in that regard, it is a little bit like sort of that fire insurance policy approach to Christianity where, uh, do you want to go to hell? No, sign here. Okay, I'm in. We're all good. <clears throat> but from a New Testament perspective, being a follower of Jesus, being a kingdom person, is really less about what we believe. Now, it, it does include a belief system. There are things you believe. But primarily, it's about how you live. It's about the lifestyle that comes out of those beliefs. If you just took the New Testament and looked at how much of it is about what you believe and how much of it is about how you live, you'd find that it's an inordinate imbalance. There are some beliefs, but those beliefs should affect how we live our life. To be a kingdom person doesn't mean you simply believe Jesus is king to be a kingdom person means that you live as though Jesus is king. You submit yourself as a subject to King Jesus. Oh, I want to recommend a book to you. I forgot to bring it up. But uh, there's a great little book called How God Became King by N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright is a theologian, one of my favorite theologians. And you may have read like Simply Christian or Surprised by Hope or some of his more known titles. But How God Became King is very good on this subject. So... There's that. Um, But the point is simply this, that if you truly believe something, it affects how you live. Amen? Did you know that? If you believe something, it's going to change how you live. So here's what makes the gospel offensive. What makes the gospel offensive is that it can disrupt my life. I, I think most people are actually okay with Jesus as long as he doesn't mess with their life. Don't touch my 21st century privileged American lifestyle. Don't touch my nationalistic superiority, and for gosh sake, keep your hands out of my wallet. Here's a fun fact. Um, Over the years, I've heard a few times someone say something like, well, the church just wants your money. All the church does is ask for money. Just money, money, money. Anybody ever heard that? Here's the truth. I've never heard a generous person say that. People that say that are whatever the opposite of generous is. It's just the way it is. There's a word. Oh, my. Uh, There's a word used in Scripture... uh, to identify this process of 
becoming kingdom people. And Jesus uses it a number of times. It's in the book of Acts, Paul's epistles, Hebrews, Peter, John, and Revelation. The word is uh, repent. Matthew 4.17 From that, see, oh, I, I can From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so you can kind of see the relationship between the kingdom and repentance. The, the kingdom of heaven is coming, so repent. That's, what, that's the response. Repentance is the response to the kingdom of heaven coming near. They go hand in hand. They're part of the process. Uh, go to the next slide. The Greek word, what does it mean to repent? Uh, we're breaking for Greek today. There's Ned Flanders. He's breaking and he's not happy about it. But the word is metanoia, which simply means to change one's mind or purpose. It's literally, it just means to turn around. That's the, the literal translation. Uh, in the military, when you're training, and I don't, I've never been in the military, but I watch a lot of movies. Your mar- soldiers are marching, and the commander or the sergeant will say, about face. And they turn around and go the other direction. And so, in the Greek military, the commander would say, Repent. And they would turn around and go the other way. That's what it meant. It's go the other direction. To some people, there is a, they think that you have to, that repentance means to be sad or sorry. You have to have this, this brokenhearted sort of sadness. And, and I've heard it said, if you didn't shed tears when you repented, then you weren't sincere. And I don't, I don't buy that necessarily. I think that's a possibility that, that might happen that way. But I think it, there could be any number of emotional responses. I mean, you, you could be happy that you're going another direction. You could be relieved that you're going another direction. Anybody ever been lost? Yeah, I hate being lost. Uh, there are very few things I find more frustrating than trying to drive in a city or a place I've never been. I don't know where I'm going and I'm lost and I can't find my way. I, I don't like that. It's not fun. And when you get finally to a place where you know where you are and you're going the right way, you're relieved. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy. Finally, I'm out of that mess. And I think repentance can be a little like that. You're going the wrong way. You turn, you find your way and you go, oh, wow, this is better. So my point is simply that I don't know that God's necessarily looking for any sort of emotional response from us. It's really much more practical than that. It's, it's really just going a different direction. And that can look different for different people. Some people might be in sort of this frame of mind. You know, I was self-confident. I had it all together. I figured life out. I, I, I knew what I was doing, where I was going. And, and I, I had a tendency to, to look down on other people. You see, we see this in the scripture too. I'm glad I'm not like those losers, whoever they may be. Glad I'm not like that gay guy. I'm glad I'm not like those flaming liberals. And God says, hey, you know what? I've got something better for you than that. Why don't you try going this way? Maybe you're climbing the ladder of success and you're, you know, fulfilling your ambition and fulfilling the American dream and you're saving up for the future and all of that. It's all good. And then God speaks to you one day. And he says, you know what I really want from you? I want you to care about the poor. I want you to think about and pray for those that are needy and have less than you. I, I actually want you to give a little bit of what you have to somebody that will make a difference in their life. I want you to go another direction. There's a lot of forms you could take. It's different for different people. Might be that you're somebody who only really feels comfortable relating to other people like you. I only want to talk to people like me because I don't, I'm not comfortable with people of different races, different classes, different colors, different belief systems. They kind of scare me. 
But that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is gloriously diverse, and it means we open our hearts and open our lives and interact with people that are different than us, and we actually embrace and celebrate some of that diversity. And that means I might actually have to talk to people that are different than me. I might have to turn around and go another way. So repentance might mean building bridges with people. It might mean being willing to open up to people that you have avoided in the past. It's to see the best, believe the best, to, to really live in love. That, that's what repentance is. I, I would say this bottom line, it's about an evaluation of where I'm at in my life, not where everybody else is at in their lives. Does that make sense? Yes. You guys want to come back up now? So when that happens, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, God begins to help you identify things in your life that you think might be things that could change. You have two options. One would be to be offended and say, how dare you? How how dare you challenge my life and how I live? The other is simply to repent. And it's not a big deal. It's not a bad thing. It just means to go a new direction. Let me say uh, in, in conclusion, uh, you know, we're we talking about this on the new year, and, and uh, it is a good time to reflect on all that, but it's not a New Year's resolution. And, and this is why it's not a New Year's resolution. Uh, that's, the reason is you can't do it by yourself. I, I think you need two things. I think, first of all, you need to invite the Holy Spirit into the process. It needs to be spirit-led and spirit-infused. And the second thing I think you need is community. You need people around you that will help you walk those things out. So be open to inviting the presence of God into your heart and life and to evaluating uh, where you're at and what God might have for you this coming year. The other thing I would say about this is it's not a one-and-done. It's not a one-time decision. It really is what uh, Eugene Peterson calls so profoundly a long obedience in the same direction. So as we close this morning, I want to take a couple minutes. I'm going to ask the band to just kind of play quietly. And I would invite you guys to just take a minute and reflect. Just allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak. And invite the Holy Spirit into your thought processes and into your heart and Ask him to help you evaluate what might be needed to change in your life. Is there any point, any way, any, any opportunity for you to go a new way that might be better? So let's, uh, hey, Steve, would you go ahead? Why don't you go ahead and dim the lights? Thanks, man.